Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in Austin, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm Mischievous Marchinocchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals. But Dan, as I've told you once, and I'll tell you again, the annuals don't count. Well, Mark, in a just world, we would have 60 annuals by now because we are kicking off our beyond amazing celebration of Spidey's 60th anniversary on the Amazing Spider Talk. Yes, Mark and I have only been covering it for about 10 years of that 60 years, but we're going to celebrate it nevertheless. Yes, it is Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Man, that's kind of crazy to think about, Dan, that we've been doing this for almost like a 15th of the, of the run of the book. <laughs> but, but, this is a test but, of Mark's math skills. Right? Well, yeah, that, and you're not going to go far with that. If you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app. Every other week, we put out a mainline episode of our flagship show, and sprinkled in between, we review new comics as well as interview some of the greatest Spider-Man creators of yesterday and today. This is the perfect time to start listening. Plus, Dan, isn't there something else our fans could be listening to right now? Yeah, I, I've talked about it briefly on the show before, but I'm going to remind everybody that we have a brand new podcast feed. And by brand new, I mean only old content. Yes, it is the Amazing Spider Talk Back Issues, available on Apple Podcasts, where you can see all of our old content that's been booted from our normal feed, which can only hold about 300 episodes. And Mark and I just passed, this is our 351st episode. You know, we've just passed over that threshold. So Amazing Spider Talk Back Issues has about 51 episodes in it now of some great stuff, interviews with like Mark Bagley, Ron Friends, JMD. I mean, there's all this great content there. So if you are new to the podcast and you want to check that stuff out, go to our Amazing Spider Talk Back Issues podcast. And um, if, while you're there, leave us a review. You know, the only way people get to find out about this is either they listen to the episodes where I yammer on about it, or you guys give us reviews, which bumps it up higher in that uh, – that search engine, and then guess what? I can stop talking about it on here, which you're probably sick to death of already just within this episode. So give me some reviews so I can stop talking. All about the algorithms, Dan. Putting together old content and like presenting it as a new podcast is a very comic book industry thing. So it I want to congr yeah. <laughs> congratulate ourselves for 
for that really cliched and hackneyed thing here. Anyway, in terms of the new, new content, today we're going to be kicking off a new series for our show that we're stealing from Marvel and calling Beyond Amazing, because we're really original folks. <laughs> in 1962, we saw the first appearance of Spider-Man in Amazing Fantasy number 15, and now 60 years later, we are preparing to celebrate the character's anniversary. So with each episode of the series, we're going to be taking a very specific lens and applying it to the history of the character. I mean, specifically the history of the character as it relates to Amazing Fantasy 15. In this episode, we'll be discussing the anniversary issues that have specifically celebrated Spider-Man's origins. Yeah, so if you want to follow along with us on our journey today through the anniversary issues as we've deemed them, which is to say any time the book has ever celebrated Spider-Man's anniversary related to Amazing Spider-Man number one or Amazing Fantasy 15, the comics we're going to be discussing are Amazing Spider-Man numbers 300, 365, 375, 425, and 692, which is the one odd number of, of the bunch. Um, we're also going to discuss Spectacular Spider-Man number 189, which is a wonderful classic issue, Web of Spider-Man number 90, Spider-Man 26, one random one in here, Marvel Age number 114. We acknowledge the history of Spider-Man and Amazing, except for one year where it was across all the titles. And you can probably guess which year was the one from the 90s. Because <laughs> that's what the 90s did, damn it. <laughs> yeah, right. They, they like to celebrate and sell comics, which is weird. You know, just to maybe bridge us into this is this book has actually been really bad about celebrating its history over the years. Yeah, absolutely. But like, I mean, not for nothing. I'm like thinking back to other s series, not just Spider-Man. And, and I, I don't know if Marvel's really been consistent about doing this in any regard, except in when the 90s came along. I feel like the 90s was really the, the time where they where Marvel started to kick off because, you know, any excuse to slap chromium or foil or a hologram or, or a double-sized, triple-sized issue and get extra, you know, circulation going. They did it. Oddly enough, and like this always throws me to this day, I mean, the, the, the first Spider-Man comic that also acknowledged itself as an anniversary of his first appearance happens to be, you know, a comic that we've never discussed before on this show, Amazing Spider-Man <laughs> number 300. I mean, you say that jokingly. We haven't really discussed it in any kind of great depth. I mean, I think we did maybe a backup talk about it, but it does seem to pop up all over the place. But yeah, so um, Amazing Spider-Man 300, like the 25th anniversary plays very secondary to just landing at the number 300 because all we really get to acknowledge it is a little banner at the top of the cover that says special 25th anniversary issue. And otherwise you'd think this was just like any other centennial. And I think for all intents and purposes, it kind of is just any other centennial other than the fact that like we love this comic. Right, right, right. But I, I, I mean, but you know, to your original point, no, I don't, I don't think Marvel's necessarily been consistent about this. I mean, you know, of all the comics we're discussing here, we don't have a clear-cut 40th anniversary, if memory serves, right? I mean, it, it, it we, we kind of, we, we sort of have a 35th <laughs> that we're going to discuss a little later on. But yeah, I mean, like you would think that, you know, if not every 
five years, at least every 10 years, they would do something and they, 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 they haven't, you know, and we'll talk about this in, you know, r- relative to the first issue that we're, we're talking about here, 300, you know, I've, I've always been under the impression that like, you know, the, the true quote unquote milestone issues for Marvel have always been the centennial issues of a series and, and the, you know, marking the anniversary, especially since it's so kind of gray, you look at the covered month date of Amazing Fantasy 15, and it's August 1962. As any historian will tell you, technically, the comic was printed in June. So, you know, we're, it's, I have a feeling that has something to do with it. Whereas a centennial issue, like, you hit the double zero... And it's there, you know, <laughs> there's no, there's no question about it. So <laughs> when the 20th rolled around, they, they probably just blew through it and they're like, oh yeah, that's right. And, and, and it would have been probably during the, what, the, the Roger Stern era, right? So Stern was probably like, I'm not interrupting my run to, t- to do anything silly. <laughs> I got, I got to tell a story about the Hobgoblin. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, it makes sense that it would start in the nineties, you know, it, it is a gimmick you know, of some kind, but like, I I think a worthwhile gimmick, something worth celebrating if if you can. Now the jury is still out on whether any of these celebrations are truly worthy of, of calling themselves like anniversary, big celebrations, you know? I mean, what do you think about amazing Spider-Man 300? I mean, look, we love it as a comic. What do you think about it as a, you know, anniversary issue? I mean, honestly, outside of the very last page of the comic, which was apparently like it's Spider-Man back in the red and blues. And it says, that, you know, the legend begins anew. And, you know, it's it's both a fitting finale for a milestone issue of Spider-Man, whether you want to call it a centennial, an anniversary, whatever. I mean, it feels very like going backwards but like you know we have a like a definitive cutoff point of like the next le- the next you know the next stage of this character's journey you know kind of feels like the the ending of um no way home <laughs> in terms of you know the character just kind of i mean literally they that's I, i'm pretty sure that was the influence for it um you know the character in the snow in his red and blues it's a like you said it's a great issue it it kind of culminates what i would say were the last I don't know, like five or six years of storytelling and view, you know, involving, you know, a couple of event comics that had happened at Marvel, like Secret Wars and then the Black, the Black Symbiote and the Black Suit Saga. I feel like a good step forward for like the Peter and MJ marriage. So like, you know, like it's it's significant in the storytelling purpose, but nothing that necessarily speaks to an anniversary. It's more like I feel like I mean, it's 1987, but I really feel like this is this comic kind of like ends the 80s of Spider-Man, so to speak, and then kicks off the 90s and like the kind of more extreme storytelling. And that would, you know, make sense given the fact that Todd McFarlane was the artist. And, you know, I don't think any artists kind of embodied the 90s as much as Todd McFarlane did. You know, just so much, you know, with Venom obviously being a very 90s-fied character. So like, I, I, you know, I guess you can make a case for it that that makes it feel anniversary-ish. But but again, it's still more of a centennial milestone for me than an actual anniversary issue. Yeah, and, and that's how I feel about it. On most lists, you know, Amazing Spider-Man 300 would hit near the top for me. In terms of anniversariness, it, it doesn't scream that to me. I mean, like, it's great. And we've had, you know, Jim Salakrup on the show before talking about how they felt like they needed to make it special and introduce like a big new rogues, you know, classic villain. 
And, you know, Venom certainly, like, is one of the few to, to do that and have some lasting power. And we'll talk about, like, kind of the end of that era uh, today for another anniversary issue. Yeah, I mean, I love 300, but to me, it's like, you know, a, as a first anniversary issue, I don't know that it set the template for what we would ultimately get with these. Though certainly, if all the anniversary issues were of this quality, I wouldn't be complaining. And Dan, just before we end this segment, I do want to show everyone what's on my glass right now as I'm drinking. Of course, it is the cover image of Amazing Spider-Man 300. So, you know, I, 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 you know, had to come prepared today. So anyway. All right. True to form. True to form. So that's the 25th anniversary of Spider-Man. Let's move on to the 30th because, like you said, the 30th is in the 90s and it's where they really kind of pulled out all the stops to make this into something special. And, you know, I, I do remember it feeling special as a kid, you know, in this era, walking in and seeing all these issues. Now, you know, none of these really lined up with the anniversary perfectly, but they do have kind of special interiors. And the covers are, I think, the things that really stand out the most, you know, like the 30th with those hologram covers. I think everybody who's a Spider-Man collector or was a kid going into comic shops in, you know, 1992, recognized these, these covers, you know, it was right alongside my, like coincided with my starting reading this. So, you know, this was a big thing that drew me into reading Spider-Man comics for the first time were these covers. And the, you know, the biggest one of these, I think, being Amazing Spider-Man 365 with the Amazing Fantasy 15 cover recreated in hologram you know mark did you ever write a gimmick or a good article for cbr about these i'm trying to remember i think i did for the asm one because like i you know but I, I as i was rereading these like there were there were i think <laughs> the some of the parts that you not to, you know not to reveal the sausage making but in the in the notes here you know we, we talk about in the asm issue like the homage to the master planner trilogy and you know like lifting the debris up and stuff and i think i i remember writing in a gimmick or good like that you know kind of groaning at like oh man like they're they're literally just pulling every little bit of like Dicko and Lee into this comic to make it feel as special as possible. But at the end of the day, it just feels like a very nineties plot for me. Not that it's bad. It's, it's a, it's a good lizard story. And I know fans of the animated series will recall that like the very first, uh, episode of that pulled very heavily from this story between lizard and Bill and his son, Billy and, and Billy Connors in all of these hologram issues. The main stories are very kind of stock and trade and unmemorable to me. And I feel like, you know, like the, the anniversary elements are very ham fisted with that said, they are anniversary elements in here. No question. I mean, I mean, and even you have, you have backups in these issues that feel I mean, it would almost they, they feel like an annual backup, but like more to add into the history of the character rather than like outside of, you know what I mean? Like, it's just they, they, they feel like they're celebrating the history and the overall narrative of the story of Spider-Man rather than just like, oh, here's a day in the life of uh, <laughs> J. Jonah Jameson that doesn't really talk about it in the context of the history of him and Spider-Man. It wins for that, but it all feels so forced to me that, like, it's not necessarily enjoyable. <laughs> I don't know. I, maybe I'm just cranky about it. 
Well, um, I'm going to say, like, I really dig this comic, and it could be nostalgia talking. Like, I think this was the second Spider-Man comic I ever picked up. And, you know, it was another Mark Bagley issue. I feel like the Lizard story feels kind of perfunctory now. But I think at the time, like, it was kind of maybe the best Lizard story and maybe remains one of the best Lizard stories ever told, which maybe isn't a high bar. Like, when I think of a Lizard story, this is the one I think of. And it helps that it was animated and and that animation was written by Jerry Conway. So, like, there's probably a mixing of, like, my memory of this issue and the animated show. I, I love the sewer setting and the kind of interplay with Billy, who almost kills his father. In terms of Lizard, everybody's been copying this story as the kind of, like, base-level Lizard story um, ever since, which maybe makes it seem less special now. But to me, especially as a young person, it was a real standout. You know, and and Mark Bagley's art is really awesome in in this. And, yeah, I I agree with you about, like, all of the kind of, like, callbacks that, that we get here the Amazing Spider-Man 33 reference, but like, had this been done before at at this point in time? I mean, like now it's done every other issue, but um, between 33 and 365, were there many callbacks to 33? I can't really think of one off the top of my head. And same with your point about this being the lizard story. I mean, like this is, this is like 37 status quo shifts before the, the current status quo of the lizard. Maybe I'm being generous and saying his, his status quo has only changed like 37 times. Since then. But, <laughs> That's being generous. Uh, yeah. 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 But, the, but the point being is like, I mean, abs- I agree a hundred percent that like, I mean, yeah, prior to this, we got some of the dynamics between Kurt and Billy and and, and it's Martha, right? Or, or am I confusing that with Batman? No, uh, yeah, it's, Mar- it's Martha as well. Yeah. <laughs> OK, we got we got another Martha here for sure. This is like I feel like the lizard story that like set the template for every other lizard story that followed. But that said, I mean, like, boy, oh, boy, has this story been done to death um, since then? And 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 you're right. I mean, like. The callbacks seem cliched now because they happen all the time. But at but at the time, I mean, I'm sure like seeing seeing this and actually being like, oh wow, and like you know having the backup of you know like the I remember Gwen, which like like going back and rereading this, like I I remember that in real time, and like that was kind of my introduction to to Gwen Stacy because you know I I started reading comics in the late '80s, so like. You know, like Gwen would show up in like a floating head of guilt scene every once in a while. But like this was like the first like real like, oh, this is the story of the Stacys, you know. So like it really is a, a a grand celebration of the character's history. It's just like at the same time, because of how many times they've gone over this content over and over and over again, I don't know how well it's aged so, I mean, you, you, I guess you kind of have to kind of rate it through that lens, I guess. I, and and that, I hate being so cynical, but we can segue into the, the, the next grouping of, of anniversary content from this 30th anniversary, which was Marvel Age, uh, issue 114. Now, Marvel Age was kind of like an anthology comic. Is that the is, is that the best way you would define it, Dan? I mean, it's like, you know, it was kind of a mishmash of shorts and 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 like. Uh, what do you call inventory stories but they but this one had like several like long form essays in it related to spider-man's 30th anniversary 
Yeah, well, so in Marvel Age 114, it's really it's mostly articles and um, kind of interviews about the character. I mean, this 30th anniversary thing like spanned you know several months and all the Spider-Man books. So Marvel Age kind of dedicated this issue to recapping a lot of that and how that came together and everybody kind of involved in it. And that's what's fun is you get to read even more of like things like that essay I mentioned um, and some some questions and answers. I particularly like the JMD one. You pulled a quote here from him. Peter Parker is the last decent man left. And uh, <laughs> I, I like that. It's kind of an interesting way of looking at it. And I think it's a very JMD way of saying it, given that his books were often so dark. Although his Peter Parker often got dark too. So I don't know how much about that decent man left thing um, JMD really ad ad adhered to. Um, but my favorite part of this book, other than its cover, which just got reprinted for Amazing Spider-Man Volume 6, Number 1, there's a whole section on how the holograms were made. And I had no idea about this until I read this. Is that like they were like statues that were like photographed in a really interesting way to create that hologram. And just seeing the breakdown of like how they did it was really cool. And not only that, it's like, look at all the effort that went into really celebrating this. Like, I just can't imagine Marvel doing something like that today. I mean, obviously there's probably technology to make it way easier than photographing a statue, but like, I don't know. It just was something really special and, and really kind of like marked this era of the early nineties of like, look, we're making enough money and enough people are paying attention to this, that it's worth it to do something like, create these crazy 3d covers yeah i would just add it's not not only was it a statue but it was an actual size statue which i think is really important to note like they they, they specify the fact that like they couldn't make it oversized and shrink it down like with whatever the technology they were using like they had to basically have this statue and it was all in grayscale. like there was no color involved with it it had to be the size of how it appeared on the front of the comic but still have that level of detail. So like, that's like, to me, that's, that's really impressive that, that that's how they pulled this together. Um, I also just think in general, like, 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 look, okay. Like maybe it's just because we're like super nerds and like, this is the, I mean, I, I, I wrote a book that basically is like this Marvel age issue. Like, but like having these like long form essays about different aspects of like a character and his history and like the people working on it. I I'm into it. I like, I, I wish Marvel still had something like this now. I mean, am I alone in that? Do you feel that way, Dan? Oh no, I, I do wish we got stuff like this. I mean, now it seems like even with like social media, the, the, uh, it's really up to the writer and, and, and artist with how public they want to be about the behind the scenes uh, of these books because we're not really getting this kind of self analysis or behind the scenes. I mean, really it's propaganda for, for selling the comics, but like it isn't a peek behind the, the curtain that we just don't get anymore. And maybe for good reason, I, I don't know. Uh, and I don't know what kind of audience there might be for a book like this today, but like I'm the audience for a book like this. Uh, I, I, I would have loved this. And I'll tell you, I tried to buy one of these this week because I, I wanted to, uh, to own it. You know, I don't want to just have a digital scan of it. These things sell like for crazy high prices. And I think it's because it's at the first, like early, it's an early appearance of Carnage on the cover. And it technically apparently is the first appearance of Spider-Man 2099 
because there's a preview in the back that features him. That must be why it sells for crazy, unless there's a just equal number of nerds like you and I that want these essays. Yeah, like some of these were selling for like 500 bucks, which for like a 90s comic, I, I was kind of shocked about. Marvel Age 114, yeah. I'm also sure the circulation of this thing is non-existent because like, you know, I remember going to the comic book store and getting all of these 30th anniversary issues like, you know, by the by the truckload, essentially. (laughs) (laughs) And I never saw one of these. I I forget where because I sent you like a a link to the to the you know, to this being like, oh, yeah, we we need to talk about this one, too, because I completely forgot about it. But like I I forgot where I was kind of trolling the Internet and, and this came up in my feed and I was like, oh, that's right. Like this, I remember when I was working on, I think it was Gimmick or Good, someone had referenced, see, see, now it's all coming back to me, Dan. I must have reviewed 365 for Gimmick or Good because someone ref- then referenced this article in terms of, you know, it's always, you know, it was a very interesting article about how they did the hologram. So it's all coming back to me. But anyway, like, it, you're right. I mean, like, I'm sure it being early carnage, early 2099, but also probably the fact that there's like a thousand of these copies available, whereas like <laughs> 365, they, they made probably 2 million of them. So, you know, like, use that as your scale. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's cool. I'm going to be putting this on my list of must find, you know, like when I go to a convention, I am going to be looking for one of these and I feel bad drawing attention to it because I know now all the people that are listening to this are going to try to find one too, but um, boy, it would be cool to own one of these. You know, I probably just have to like open my wallet a little bit wider. I have two copies of ASM 300. Maybe I could trade one of them for this. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So let's move on to actually uh, the first Green Goblin comic I ever read. Spectacular number 189. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest, it's still my favorite Green Goblin comic. Uh, and I don't know if that's because of nostalgia. I think this comic is awesome. And uh, th- for those who don't know, it's kind of one of their like peak, you know, right before uh, Harry dies, you know, um, you know, it- it's kind of one of the peak or penultimate com- uh, you know, c- combat situations or confrontation between Spider-Man and the Green Goblin. And uh, it's the famous one where they sit down for dinner. And it's an awesome, awesome issue. Yeah, it's the tensest, most uncomfortable comic book dinner I think I could ever recall, you know, but like, <laughs> you know, picture picture every kind of like super tense uh, and and stressful dinner scene from a from a movie or, or a television show and then put it in comic book form. And that's what you got here. What's interesting, though, outside of the hologram on the cover, like this is. To me, of the 30th anniversary issues, the least anniversary-ish issue. <laughs> it's also probably, like you, one of the best. <laughs> I, I mean, I love this this comic. I love this story. Uh, and I love how it ties into the larger Harry and Peter arc that uh, Jam Demetrius was telling at the time. But that's also, you know, it's also worth noting that of the hologram issues, this was the first to come out. So part of me wonders if it was like, you know, JMD, we're doing, we're doing, 189 is going to be a hologram. He's like, well, 
I'm telling my story, so do what you're gonna do. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, so uh, it, it's definitely like it does not feel like this comic was written in any way to acknowledge the anniversary, but also it's an awesome comic. So I don't know. I I, I don't know what you can do about that. <laughs> I mean, it, it would be an A plus comic if just for the first page, which is the 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 gotcha gift, and Peter just sitting there staring at it. I mean, such a such a cool opening to a comic. But so there is one backup story. So JMD couldn't have been too surprised by this because he wrote that backup story. And it's called The Night the World Died with him, JMD writing it, and Bob McLeod doing the art. And it's an interesting thing. I think maybe at this point hadn't really been acknowledged yet within in the pages of a Spider-Man comic. We kind of see Uncle Ben's death from Aunt May's perspective. And, and correct me again, I think it's the first time we've ever seen this. In, in a Spider-Man comic, is that true, Mark? Yeah, that sounds about right. I, I can't I can't think of an earlier instance of that for sure. I mean, I guess we got that a little well, not from Aunt May's perspective, but we kind of got like a different variation of Ben's death in two hundred. You know, the Marv Wolfman issue. You know, but but yeah, I, I I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah, but what's cool here is that like this is kind of takes her on you know a further path of healing her relationship towards Spider-Man, which is that like she acknowledges here that like he's not a monster as she originally thought, but that like it was his actions that kind of got her on the path of healing um, the wound left by Uncle Ben in in his kind of taking down the burglar and kind of being a part of her life. And I thought that was a really interesting perspective and exactly the kind of thing you'd expect from JMD to be kind of psychological with a backup. So at least it ties into Amazing Fantasy 15 in some way. It's like you said, it's a kind of backup story with a kind of a historical perspective. But really for me, other than the story, the main thing that I love about this comic is there's this awesome Charlie Vess painting in the back of black suit Spider-Man swinging away from the Hobgoblin who's throwing pumpkin bombs at him. And it's one of my favorite like paintings of Spider-Man. And, um, you know, I used to have a bunch of posters when I was a kid in my room. And one of them was this great Charlie Vest painting of Spider-Man that I, that I loved, but it wasn't this one. And so I, I remember one of the first comic cons I went to in Baltimore he was there, and I went up to him and asked him about this this double-page spread painting of Spider-Man and the Hobgoblin and if they ever sold posters of it. And he didn't even remember that he had made it. And it's one of my favorite images of Spider-Man. So I'm guessing they must have never printed it anywhere else but here. Um, and if I was willing to destroy a spectacular 189, I would totally cut that thing out and hang it up on my wall. Um, but it's one of my favorite, like... Uh, double page art pieces of Spider-Man printed in a comic. So that's a major plus for me. Awesome. All right. Well, let's wrap up the 30th anniversary with web of number 90 and Spider-Man number 26. I would say for better or for worse, probably of these stories, the most connected to amazing fantasy 15, but like also 
per my original point when we were talking about this, like I feel like the most ham-fisted connected. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, so Web of deals with the bookie who originally booked Spider-Man, you know, to wrestle. Was is it to wrestle Crusher? Yeah. I mean, it's 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 you know, we're going we're going way way back in the obscurity machine here. To here's the booker who booked Spider-Man who got robbed by the um, by the burglar. So what what did you think of Web of Ninety, Dan? I'm gonna be honest. I, I like I like this comic. I mean, I think it's <laughs> it's much more of an interruption of the flow of these stories than than the other ones are. Like, it really feels like a okay. Like we we know it's an anniversary issue. Like, let me give Alex Saviak a reason to draw all of these different characters, which is I don't think it's a really clever idea. You know, it's just a like you know we we revisit Max Schiffman the bookie who first gave Peter a wrestling gig, like, like you said. And he like, apparently like became like a big deal because he discovered, you know, Spider-Man. But then like this whole thing is just like another, you know, Mysterio illusion that lets us kind of do all those kind of nightmare retellings of his origin story and, and a 30 year summary of the tragedy. So like for me, in terms of an anniversary issue, like, this is kind of the perfunctory one that you would expect to get and that I hope we don't get with issue 900. Like I, I love a good, like look back through memory lane with some cool artwork. And I think savvy of delivers here, um, especially in like his like venom symbiote Galactus, which I think is a unique I- image for this issue. It, to me, it's the least interesting story of the bunch so far, but it, it does really do that anniversary thing. If we're giving an anniversary grades, I I mean I, I see what you're saying, but I mean like this feels very inventory to me. Like I, I like to me this feels like a backup to an annual, and it's the main story of this of this comic. Like to me this goes on too long. Like this is this this whole concept is way too long to make this the main story of a of of a comic in my opinion that's 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 where i'm just like all right like we get it you know like we're, we're, we're like you said it's 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 the stroll down memory lane the floating heads of guilt I, I mean we get it all but like this hadn't been done to death by this point although i mean there have been instances where the origin has kind of come back in so i i, I don't know like i don't love the neck i don't love adjective list 26 much either but like yeah. <laughs> to me this, these, these are definitely the weak links of of the anniversary uh so so uh, just, just just to jump around and we can go back to web of if there's anything you want to hit but like for for adjective list 26 this deals with jimmy and this is by tom defalco ron friends and mark bagley so a superstar cast for sure um but it, it deals with jimmy costas who's a purse snatcher who of course is dressed exactly like the burglar from amazing fantasy 15 as the story progresses we 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 basically find out that jimmy is the nephew of the burglar or at least it's strongly implied while spider-man continues to pursue the the burglar here because you know he cannot let can't let this one go the burglar's just going to turn himself in and 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 you know turn over a new leaf at the end i mean i I probably like this a little more than Web of 90, but like, again, it just feels so forced. And so like, like the concept just feels way too drawn out as a main story in a, in a, in a double sized issue. That's so that's my demerit against it. 
I mean, I think if you strung all of those scenes together, they'd be a fine, like, somewhat typical Tom DeFalco backup story that we're used to getting in, like, the aughts, you know, where he's brought back to do something a little bit, like, touching or heartwarming. And, you know, I think this fits the bill. Um, but to me, it, how it's paced throughout the issue is, like, it feels like this completely perfunctory or separate story to this other kind of superhero antics that are going on, which are complete nonsense. And I couldn't even tell you the first thing about, because to me, like, this is the more interesting story. It's also interesting to me that, like, apparently the, like, he must have stolen his uncle's clothes uh, that he died in in Amazing Spider-Man 200. You know, I mean, he was, looking, uh, so, he was looking for a treasure chest with a pirate's treasure and instead found <laughs> his, his father's clothing. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, or, or uh, he, when he was hoping to buy, he only had one pair of clothes, their whole family. They all shared the same clothes. And that's why the burglar wanted the treasure chest, so he could buy everyone more than one set of clothing. Yeah. All right, all right. The backup is uh, Tom DeFalco and, and Mark Bagley. It's called These Great Powers. And it's kind of a cool title because the first story is called With Great Responsibility, and this one's called These Great Powers. And it's kind of one of those fun, almost Ditko-esque backups where you get to learn about how like Peter built all of his contraptions and things. Like this one, he's explaining to Mary Jane how his powers work. And, you know, as a kid, I loved this kind of thing. That's why I bought the Spider-Man trading cards and stuff. It was just kind of like like cool visual demonstrations of like how Spider-Man's powers work. And, you know, I, I always, I always like those backups when Dicko did it. And I like it here too. All right. Well, that's, so that's the 30th anniversary issues. I mean, that, that I mean, this is, that's the bulk of our episode, but we still got a few more to go. I mean, do you have any other final thoughts about these as a concept and these as a collective? I mean, this is kind of what I would hope any major anniversary would do. Like, I'm surprised in the 50th anniversary we didn't get a bigger celebration like this. You know, like this feels like a true moment. All these covers and, you know, these kind of stories that look back on the origin stuff. I mean, are they kind of forgotten? Yeah, most of them I think are. But like, you know, as, as a kid, it made a strong impression on me walking into the comic book shop and seeing these things. It really made the character feel special and... You know, we've only had six of these 10th anniversaries um, over the years, you know, so like, why not go go all out? Which which kind of brings me to like the next comic that I think we should talk about, which was my first comic, um, Amazing Spider-Man 375. It's another 30th anniversary, but not of Amazing Fantasy 15, but of Amazing Spider-Man number one, because they couldn't get enough of just doing those half dozen issues, they need to do another one. And for my money, this is the coolest cover of the bunch with uh, Spider-Man and Venom squaring off over that gold foil background. To me, this jumped out on the shelf and it's what got me into comics. You know, uh, I like the story enough to, to see past the cover and I think I've read that issue a hundred times uh, if I've read it once. So... Yeah, I I, uh, I I love Amazing Spider-Man 375, and um, you know the cover says giant-sized 30th anniversary of Spider-Man number one, and I'll note it's a three dollars and ninety-five cent comic from 1993. So uh, they were making you pay for it. So looking back at it, 
I thank my dad for being generous. That I, that's the one he let me pick off the shelf. I was going to say, eat your heart out nine ninety nine. I mean, that's a that's a pricey comic for the time. Um, I, I I will just add a, as a personal anecdote, uh, as awesome as this cover was, for whatever reason, because of the foil, I always had a hard time finding a, a pristine copy of this book. Like it always got like dimpled in the by like by the staples because of the 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 you know the texture of the of the cover basically. Like you know any kind of you know any kind of pressure against it would indent it. Like I I, I have like three or four copies of this comic because anytime I would go somewhere, I would, I would try and grab one that was maybe an improvement, but it's never perfect, which pisses me off. <laughs> so um, <laughs> just, 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 just to add that to, to the, to the list here. I bought so many copies of this comic over the years. I think I own two now, but I definitely like have owned at least like five or six copies of this uh, over the years. And like, weirdly enough for all the hyperbole of the cover, it's pretty much honest, like Spidey vs. Venom, the final confrontation. This was really kind of the swan song on Venom as a villain in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man. I have thoughts about if, if we want to get into it very briefly. I mean, it, you know, like to me, this is, you know, I feel like Marvel had like painted itself into a corner with with Venom and that like the, the character was so popular that they, they, they couldn't just have him be a villain anymore like they wanted but like i i i still feel like in the build-up outside of like the the first carnage story but even that's questionable like there there wasn't enough like anti-hero tendencies to venom yet you know like so like kind of breaking him off and like okay i'm gonna leave you alone you're gonna leave me alone and i'm out like you know and, and peter's just like fine i don't know i just never I never bought it then and I don't buy it now, but like, Hey, you know, like they, they had to do something with Venom because they couldn't just keep him as a villain anymore. But uh, you know, like to me, like this kind of just speaks to a lot of like bad decisions that, you know, with the character where they could have done more interesting things with him and they just kind of, you know, but they wanted to keep pumping him out there to make money. So, you know, anyway, I mean, I'll push back a little bit, but I won't push back much because, again, this is my first comic and I'm very precious about it. But Spidey <laughs> does, like, in his head monologue, like, I don't trust that this is real. So he shoots a spider tracer at Venom, knowing that he's going to go evil again. So, like, he doesn't totally buy it. This is my favorite Mark Bagley interpretation of Venom in this comic, and... Maybe my favorite interpretation of Venom visually in any comic. Like, he just, like, ups the tendrils and the way it wraps around Eddie's face and the cool costume at the end, the kind of suit that he's wearing. There's just so much cool Venom here. Like, honestly, as much as I love Spider-Man, I can't honestly say that as a kid I didn't love looking at Venom more. But this also has a cool Spider-Man with his suit all torn up and him getting the crap beaten out of him. I mean... I, I don't know. I, I, this is a story I can't really look at objectively because I just I love it so much as as like a nostalgia uh, hit there. But it, it does feel like a big story for the for the character if this is truly to be the final Venom thing. There there is not really an anniversary element to the main story, but like Spectacular One Eighty Nine, it's a story that I remember. Maybe not on that level, but, uh, you know, at least there was something momentous happening in the pages of the comic 
enough to warrant maybe a 30th anniversary story. What about the backups? Do you have any memories of the backups in this uh, this issue? I mean, very vaguely. I mean, like in 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 this is smart in the fact that all the backups kind of tie into the first issue of Amazing Spider-Man. Like, I mean, in every I mean, like first there's a a look back of of like Peter or, or excuse me, Spider-Man and Johnny Storm and the Fantastic Four's relationship, which obviously, I mean, that's the cover of ASM1. There's a backup with Spider-Man and Jameson over the, you know, regarding the rocket launch from ASM1. And then, of course, another one with Spider-Man and uh, Chameleon, who's, you know, standing over Craven's grave. And, you know, Chameleon, of course, is the very first ASM villain. Uh, and Chameleon would also play a key role in the uh, latter half of this run of issues um, going into 400 for, for Spider-Man here. But with that said, like outside of the chameleon one, none of them really felt like they had stakes to it. But but they're you know it they're, they're fun, uh, and it's and it's a good tie into ASM one for sure. Yeah, th- this was a neat first issue for me. Um, you know, picking it up as a kid is like it's kind of weird. You you get um, Venom turning good, but then the follow up story is like Spider Man breaking into the Fantastic Four's headquarters to fight them. And as a young kid, I was like, wait, wait a minute. Like, is he a villain? What, what's the deal here? Like, I, I could never really understand that story, you know. And because then, then it follows up with, like, the story that essentially turns John Jameson's man-wolf into a hero. He, like, this is the story where he, like, kind of realizes that, like, hey, perhaps I can use my powers for good, too. Spider-Man is the one who, who saved me with my rocket. And I'm going to save someone in a rocket in this issue. So, like, you've got two villains that turn good and one hero that does something bad. I was all over the place about this as a kid. But, uh, um, again, very very fond memories. Like, I, I don't think it's the greatest anniversary issue ever in terms of, like, how it celebrates Spider-Man. But I do think that it, like, has a nice balance of all those kind of different elements that we've talked about so far. Why don't we talk a little bit about the Slack before we wrap up our anniversary coverage? All right, we'll take it away, Mark. Hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider-Slack community is absolutely free to join, and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting, conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Yeah, Mark, I hang out in the Slack all the time, and this week we've all been talking about how the print versions of Amazing Spider-Man Volume 6, Number 2 snuck in a little kindred centipede on MJ's bag. Mark, did your copy have that, that centipede on it? I am not entertaining this, Dan. You are, you are trolling to levels I didn't think you were capable of. You know, it was like a one in one hundred. Did you did you did you get one of the special ones? I know yours had a misprint. In the in the immortal words of the Michael Jordan meme, stop, get some help. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if you want to share your images of the Kindred Centipede on Amazing Spider-Man Volume Six, Number Two, man, make sure you check because it was a rare print. And you want to join our awesome Spider-Man community and, and share that with us. Just follow the link in the description to be sure to say, hi, Mark, I can't believe they're keeping this MJ Kindred thing alive. Like, it, it, it's definitely happening. Like, I, I, I thought we were through with this. 
<laughs> when we continue our our episode, sure, here. Mark, sure. I, I, I know you I, want to forget I, about Kendrick. Before I quit on the air. This surprised me when you pulled this one out. I, I, I mean, like for I read it, or I should say reread it for this episode because I saw it in the show notes. Tell me, where, how are you determining this was a 35th anniversary issue, Dan? I need you to explain this to me. It is not labeled in any way as an anniversary issue. But it, do, it did come out exactly on the anniversary. And it is inexplicably double-sized. Like, it's just a random comic that is double the size. You've got a new costume introduced here, the Electro-Proof suit. And... It even advertises on the cover, like, featuring your new guide to the Marvel Universe. There are elements of this that are uh, that are important. And I believe inside it, like, loosely acknowledges that it's the 35th anniversary in, like, one of the intro letter-paged things. But it is so minor, I don't even know if it's worth, like, talking about in, in any length. But it is definitely the 35th anniversary and inexplicably double-sized. So maybe there was advertising that I didn't remember about this when it came out that advertised it as such, but there's something weird about this comic. From a content standpoint, this was a chapter in um, when DeFalco, Tom DeFalco came back to the book, he did this um, story that kind of reinvented Electro as a, as a more threatening villain. He like supercharges him. And, and actually, like, I, I wrote about this story, you know, a fair bit when I, w- ahead of The Amazing Spider-Man 2, the Mark Webb movie, because I was, you know, basically like, what are actually some good Electro movies, uh, Electro stories to, t- to talk about? I mean, similar to what you were saying about The Lizard earlier, there, there haven't been a ton of solid Electro stories, but like, this is actually one I really liked because I always liked that they finally kind of upgraded him a little bit and actually made him a threat. It wasn't just like, okay, well, I got rubber gloves on. Boom, you're dead. You know, like like Spider-Man really had to outsmart Electro here to the point that he like creates an entire suit to, to, to fight him. Anniversary elements, you know, <laughs> near zero otherwise. I mean, what, what, what do you got here? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's really it. I mean, you can see it on the cover. It says a double-sized, high-voltage thriller. Who can really say like double-sized or not, like they chose not to label this for the 35th anniversary when they could have, and who knows what decision went behind that, but they definitely did make the decision to double-size it. And like at this point in time, you'd think they'd be seizing upon anything to get this comic out the door, you know? Um, Like we're starting to get in the late 90s here, you know? Uh, I guess it was still selling pretty well at this point. Yeah, this is a weird era and a weird that it's not marketed that way, despite kind of featuring, you know, a story you could easily say like just as much as 300 is an anniversary issue. I will also just add in terms of Mark's crankiness on all of these comics tonight on the credits page at the very beginning, it, it, it labels superstar artist Steve Scrow who, you know, had come over from X-Men to do um, a short stint on Amazing Spider-Man. I don't know. Scrow's art never worked for me on this on this book. I don't know what you feel about it, but like, I don't know, like it's just way too cartoony for me. I don't love his maskless people, but I think his Spider-Man action is pretty great. And I do like the design of the Electro suit. 
So I have to, you know, whether he designed that or not, I have to kind of give a tip of the hat there. Like that suit has a, had a weird longevity to it in like video games and stuff that like suggests it's made more appearances than just here. But uh, yeah, this is the, the issue. It's like the, the, the Mach 1, uh, the, like the, the armor, the spider armor. Like that thing was in one issue and, and has like this outsized life of its own. Yeah, Amazing Spider-Man 425, it is a pretty lackluster anniversary issue, if you even want to call it that. I just kind of wanted to, like, take a look at it as we were talking about this, because I don't really see many other reasons for us to bring up this issue. Marvel decided to skip the 40th and 45th anniversaries, which, again, like, they probably could have used the sales, but I don't see uh, JMS really bending on on that, uh, I, I would imagine, so... I guess they got him to do 500. That was probably like enough for him. So the next real anniversary that we could find was Amazing Spider-Man 692, which is like just before we started talking uh, about Spider-Man for our show. So Mark, I don't know that we've really ever talked about 692 and our feelings on the 50th anniversary and Alpha and all of that jazz. Why don't you get us started? What what is special about six ninety two? Oh, you're setting me up here. <laughs> I will say we had five utterly gorgeous variant covers for this issue by superstar artist Marcos Martin. You know, each one depicting a different decade of of Spider Man. Which I mean, I I only have I think I I have the eighties one with the you know the symbiote. And I have the um, the the 2010s. Re- regrettably, I I couldn't you know like I would love to get more of these, but you know, alas, you know my my my, my wallet is only so heavy. Um, uh, I'm a sucker. I bought them all. Uh, you're you know well, you probably bought them all in real time, and I I at that at that point was still not on the variant cover craze, but you know whatever. But in terms of the contents of this book, I, I, I mean, Dan, I, I, I got to be honest, like, I am not a fan of Alpha. I am not a fan <laughs> of this as a concept. Like, oh, let's give Peter a sidekick. It's definitely anniversary-ish. No question about it. I mean, like, we're, we're, we're literally revisiting Amazing Fantasy 15, but trying to apply it to another character, which then they would redo a couple of years later with Silk. Clearly, Dan Slott was going to get that character <laughs> from you know, the second spider bite, the second scientific malfunction. He wanted it. You know, we've been honest about this. We we feel that this book was firing on all cylinders, you know, around Spider Island to to 700 and into Superior, with a few exceptions. But this was definitely one of the big exceptions from this run. Like this is this this comic was a huge letdown given the hype that went into it. I think even Dan Slott has said that he regrets doing this story um, in the way way that he did. You know, I think a lot of it was kind of like a lot of the fault of it is really the, like a fault of the marketing hype, which is to say, like, they came out heavy on this thing, marketing that Spider-Man was getting a sidekick. And, you know, I, I'll admit, me, I'm usually pretty patient about this stuff and can ignore things until I read the issue. But even I went into this one pretty biased, like, hey, I don't like that idea. But, you know, let's see how it works out. And I think there's some good ideas in here. Like, I like the idea of 
can Peter be the Uncle Ben character to this like kid, or like you know, or kind of combine like make it Peter's accident is is at fault, and Peter has to show responsibility while also teaching another kid responsibility. Like that's the kind of story that ben, Bendis would repeat ad nauseum in the pages of Ultimate Spider-Man. And I think like there are some cool elements here. Like I like the kind of mirror, uh, you know, pages to Amazing Fantasy 15 that this book starts with. None of the characters here are likable, and I would include Peter Parker in that group. Like every everybody in this book is just not a joy to read. They're just kind of like really yuck. And also, like, I feel like for an anniversary issue, it's always good if you can do a story that kind of is self-contained. And this was like a, what, four-part story? And so, like, by the end of this, it just kind of ended, and it felt really padded. Like, you could definitely have done all of Alpha in a single issue and had it feel like, oh, okay, like, that was a nice little jaunt into, like, a new idea of Peter exercising his responsibility i i just you know i don't hate it i just think it's like not a well-told story and it's kind of more indicative of like volume volume three or uh spider-man that then it is like this kind of conclusion to volume two that we were getting from from slot at the time but to like gamble it on like like here's the thing it just didn't live up to something as big as the 50th anniversary of spider-man yeah, I mean, to your point about like the likability of the characters, like it, there's just nothing that feels celebratory about this comic. I mean, like yes, it acknowledges and 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 does direct references and visual ties to Amazing Fantasy 15, but it's not a celebration of Spider-Man, which, you know, to me is disappointing. I mean, like, you know, hell, like, you know, a few issues later you had more of a celebration of Spider-Man in 700 and he dies in that comic, you know what I mean? <laughs> so like <laughs> But like it actually felt like, you know, we were acknowledging and, and, and lauding the history of the character. And like and that's a key point, too, I want to bring up. Like I, I was reading, you know, when I was rereading this, I was looking back at the letters page and there was an editor's note from Steve Wacker where it was like, all right, we're, we're kicking off our our alpha arc. And then, you know, that's going to bring us right to 700 and, and that disaster. And it's like you could just you could just tell that. I mean, it was only eight issues out, but like the fact of the matter was all eyes and ears and bandwidth was on that build to 700 and then into superior. Like, I feel like that's where Marvel was was putting its it was, you know, cashing in its chips. You know, it's a shame because I feel like maybe with a little bit of of clever rejiggering of how the, the books came out. I mean, maybe 692 could have had some of that special appeal to it or maybe things could have been moved around a little bit so that the 50th the 50th anniversary aligns with part of the story that led into 700 i mean i'm i'm playing total wish casting here fan wish casting but like the thing is like this just doesn't feel like a story worthy of the anniversary especially when you consider like what came immediately after it which was like one of the most high stakes memorable stories of all time when it came to this character yeah, and I, I will, like, point the finger a little bit at Steve Wacker here. You know, like, this seems like, like the rare misfire from him as an editor. And um, to that point, someone in the chat called The Initiative is telling me, and I'm not, I don't, I don't know if I can confirm this because I've not heard this before, but he's saying the Alpha storyline was actually planned to be a giant-sized anniversary issue, 
but due to editorial and technical difficulties, it was sliced up into separate issues. Which, like, if, if that was the case, it could have probably worked. I don't know that it needed to be four stories worth of, like, a graphic novel worth of content. But, yeah, it, it, if that was the case, then, like, you know, kudos to Slot, I guess, for doing his best with what he was handed. But it, even still, I think you're right, Mark. Like, imagine if, uh, if uh, 698 was the 50th anniversary issue. You've got this kind of classic evergreen Spider-Man story that gets completely turned on its head. You know, that, that would be really, really something. So, yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a misfire, and I think largely because it just doesn't live up to the moniker 50th anniversary. There's a couple of backup stories, Spider-Man for a Night and Just Right, and I think they're largely perfunctory stories. They're both fine, but they don't have that kind of, like, historical perspective that the earlier uh, anniversary issues that we talked about have. So they just feel like way less special to me. They're like really inventory. And from some writers that I really like, you know, they don't stand out in, in, in any way. I mean, Spider-Man for a Night maybe has a bit more of that kind of what makes Spider-Man special kind of thing. But uh, I, I don't know. They just aren't up to the level of the backups that I, I'm used to from the previous anniversaries. All right, Dan. Well, we, we, we just rolled through these issues. What, what, what do we want to do next, Dan? Do, we, do, do you want to say what your favorite is? I mean, what, what, what are we clarifying? What, how are we quantifying a favorite here? Yeah, I mean, let, let's talk about our favorites of these. I mean, really, like, if I were to say a favorite issue from these, it would be a very different answer. Like, I think probably my favorite issue of these is 300, you know, just because, like, historically, like, it's just the one that kind of, like, change Spider-Man the most and, and is really a standout issue. And obviously I have some nostalgia around 375, but the thing I uh, really want to make sure that we're talking about here is what's the best anniversary issue? Which one do you feel like is the best celebration of Spider-Man achieving an arbitrary deadline of some moniker of five to 10 years? So like for me, my vote goes to Amazing Spider-Man 365. I, I just think that that issue has the most special content in terms of an anniversary issue, a classic story with some nice nods back to the history of Spider-Man. It's got John Romita Sr. artwork and a kind of like look back at the history. It's got that great essay in the back. Like it feels like the 30th was the most special anniversary for what they did. 365 to me is the standout of the bunch in terms of like how it celebrates the character. So that's where my vote goes. Amazing Spider-Man 365. And you're shaking your head like I'm a crazy person. No, where's your I'm vote shaking, go, Mark? I'm shaking my head because I reluctantly agree with you. I think that's what the, that's what that <laughs> head shake is. Because you're right. I mean, like we all know my love affair with Amazing Spider-Man number 300. Though if I'm being like super duper unbiased about it probably the best comic of this whole lot is spectacular 189 in my humble opinion i mean like to me that is like jmd at his apex in terms of storytelling you're right i mean from an anniversary celebration standpoint 365 i don't even know if there's a question i mean like of those 30th anniversary issues that weren't spectacular, but were actually acknowledging the anniversary. It's probably the most well done. 
the backups, I think, help elevate it. I mean, when you were talking earlier, like, oh, this is a good comic to give someone as like their first com- Spider-Man comic. And you're right. Like this, it's a great overview. It's a very traditional Spider-Man plot versus the lizard, plus these backups that give you more context. I wouldn't necessarily call it a gimmick. I don't know if I would call it good, but it's fine. <laughs> and it's a and it's a good anniversary issue. How's that sound? <laughs> All right, fair enough. I, I, I have a special shout out to Marvel Age 114 for being like just something like pure for us nerds, you know? Like, yes. Like that that's the kind of thing like if we could get that instead of a comic for the anniversary <laughs> issues, like right. I would not say no. I would not yeah. say no. Mar- Marvel and its lack of sales would say no, but <laughs> <laughs> those are some of our picks. Uh, so what's going to be cool is when we launch this podcast, you can go to amazingspidertalk.com. And if you go to the show notes for this particular episode, we'll have a voting uh, feed in there where you can vote for your favorite of the bunch. And on our next beyond amazing episode, Mark and I will announce the winner of best anniversary issue as voted upon by you. So keep your eyes out uh, for the ability to vote on that. So um, that's going to be a lot of fun as we continue our look at Spider-Man for his 60th anniversary this year coming up in August. But um, in the meantime, everybody, if you do find this show entertaining and valuable, please consider supporting us. Recommend Amazing Spider Talk to a friend, and if you're able, try to become a member on the Patreon. I mean, don't try. You can become a member on the Patreon. Do or do not, as Yoda says. Maybe Madam Webb says that too. It seems like something maybe she would say. But yeah, go check out our Patreon and, and maybe support us. Absolutely. And we can only bring you this content with the support of our Patreon members. And we owe the show's success to every single one of them. We're constantly making exclusive content for our members. Like this week, Patreon members will hear Dan and I discuss Amazing Spider-Man Volume 6, Number 2, as we continue our coverage of the Zeb Wells JRJR run of the title. So yeah, why not take $3.99, the price of a new comic, and put it towards a month's subscription to support the show and start receiving our Patreon content. It's just a little bit more than the price of Amazing Spider-Man 375. Think about that, like six cents more a month for an issue that's almost, what, 30 years old. Oh my God, I'm old. So yeah, that way you'll hear our Patreon exclusive review podcast on every new issue of Amazing Spider-Man the same week they come out instead of waiting for them to arrive in our public podcasting feed. And if you contribute $10 a month, you gain access to exclusive artwork from famous Spider-Man artists commissioned exclusively for our members. Uh, We just got news that Barry Kitson is finally finishing up our artwork all the way back from season three of our show featuring the death of Gwen Stacy. We also got Juan Ferreira doing a Spider-Man and Daredevil team up piece for us. And of course, Michael Fife doing a Spider-Man and Venom commission. So lots of great artwork in the pipeline. Plus, every episode, we release a new episode-specific desktop background created for us by artist Nick Cagnetti for our patrons to enjoy. Yeah, it's a lot of awesome content. But we do know this is a hard time for everybody, as it is for us, too. So we appreciate anyone who supports the show just by listening and sharing. But if you do have the means, please join our Patreon to support the continued existence 
of our show. Just follow the link in the description and you can go right there. And again, a thank you to all the members who already make this show possible. But of course, it's that time. Time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, this episode was edited by Rick Coast. Our artwork comes handcrafted by Ron Friend, Sal Buscema, Ray Sumzer, and Nick Cagnetti. Our theme songs were produced by Ryland Bojack and Spider Match. Plus, our introduction animation and musical stinger comes from Josh Sutton from the YouTube show Panels to Pixels. So this was a lot of fun, Dan, but what do we got coming up next time? Yeah, well, Mark, uh, barring the birth of my son, which could happen at any moment now, you and I are planning on continuing this Beyond Amazing series with a discussion of our favorite stories where Peter makes a bad decision and it backfires on him spectacularly or amazingly, if you will. Basically, we're going to be talking about the Amazing Fantasy 15 template and how it's kind of been applied to other stories since then. Like, Basically, what are our favorites? Peter does something dumb and, and suffers the just res- uh, results of it. So that's going to be fun. And I will say, like, if you have any suggestions for comics that you think fit that mold, uh, hop them into our Slack and, and suggest them to me. Uh, you know, Mark and I are going to do our best to compile a bunch of those comics, but, you know, we don't have an indexical memory of everything. I'm sure we could use your help. Don't forget, as soon as the show ends, the conversation continues with our audience on YouTube. So go there, subscribe, click the bell, and you can stay up to date on all of our YouTube offerings. But until next time, Mark, we have to leave everyone with our motto, the very thing that forms the backbone of our show. So Mark, until we hit 25 years with our show and suddenly remember to that, you know, Maybe we should do something to remember this anniversary. What's our motto? With great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next installment.